can open your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 19 through 24 this morning. God gives us two examples of men in this uh, closing part of Philippians 2 that uh, he just he throws them out there as worthy examples for us to follow. Epaphroditus next week, Lord willing, and then Timothy this week. Timothy is uh, somebody Paul hopes to use uh, and someone that we can follow. Verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So Paul is choosing Timothy to be a vessel, to go to the Philippians and meet with him. Let's suppose Jesus were to come in here and he says, all right, I need two people. He knows his church, right? He looks around, thinks about what he wants us to do. says, I need two. How many of us would be selected? Would we be the one he wants to use? That's, that's what I want us to think about this morning. He chooses to use his people. Are we chosen vessels? And what's our responsibility to be chosen vessels. Now, before we get there, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, because here we have um, a description that I think makes it clear what we're dealing with. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 19 as well. Let me read uh, 19 through 21. It says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. So He knows us. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Not only does he know us, he wants us to not sin. He says, I know you. I know that's kind of where you've been, what you want. I want you to depart from that. Now, verse 20, in a great house there are, only, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's our goal right there as far as being a chosen vessel. If we depart from iniquity, if, if we cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, thinking about that a lot this week, just in my own activities or whatever, my own thoughts. Jesus shows up, your wife shows up, your husband shows up, your kids show up, your parents show up. What you're thinking at that moment, what you're doing, what you're, where you're going, honorable or dishonorable? See that? There's a good criteria. The person who just showed up, would they consider your thoughts honorable or dishonorable? And here, of course, we've got the, the uh, judgment of Christ. What does he consider to be an honorable or dishonorable thought or activity or life? He said, I want you to be vessels of honor. Let's focus on how we can be like Timothy. This chosen vessel of honor. I went to a friend's house when I was in uh, grade school, just going over to play, you know, hang out and eat ice cream. 
So we're outside hanging out, eating ice cream, I mean, and invited in to eat ice cream. So we get inside after playing. Man, I couldn't wait to eat that ice cream. And the mother said, Mom said, I'm, I'm going to bring it out of the, the fridge. Y'all just sit down. Already got bowls, spoons at the table. Where I sat down, there was a bowl and there was a spoon. She was getting the ice cream out of the fridge when I looked down and there was something in my bowl. And I tried to, it, it was stuck. It was like cereal from the morning, you know? Bran flakes or corn flakes or something stuck right there on the side. I looked at my spoon, same thing. We used to have a dishwasher like that. It was me, right? But we were taught, don't eat with dirty utensils. See, here's the problem. The problem was not the ice cream. The problem was the vessel, right? You understand what I'm saying? That the problem is not Christ. The problem is not the gospel. The problem is not the message. The problem is the messenger, the carrier. Are we vessels fit for use? Are we vessels others would want to be used for Christ? Or we're one of the chosen that God's going to say, hey, I need to, I, I want you. Let's go back and see. Timothy was one of those in the book of Philippians, and Paul wanted to use him. Let me read Philippians 2. Hear God's word, 19 through 24. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see it will go, how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul wanted a vessel. He wanted a chosen vessel. He wanted a vessel that had proven his worth. He wanted Timothy. Uh, why does he say, I hope in the Lord Jesus? I hope this can happen. We have to just back up a few verses to see. Back in verse 17, he says, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, living for you, loving you, ministering to you, it, it might kill me. I'm in prison for my faith. And if I keep on doing what I'm doing, I won't be able to come. I hope, after I find out how it's going to go with me, I hope I could at least send Timothy. Ultimately, I hope I could come, but I don't know. They're holding me, and they're going to kill me. They're going to find me. They're going to let me go. I, I just don't know yet. I may be poured out like a sacrifice, but I'm going to keep ministering to you. So, Timothy, Paul's got a backup plan. The backup plan is I'm going to send you Timothy one way or the other. I'm going to try to find out how it's going to go with me, and then I'm going to send you Timothy and I know they'll have to hold me or something, and then maybe they'll let me go. Maybe I can come. He wanted to be cheered, though, interestingly enough, 
even though Paul is being held for some sort of trial and judgment, he wants to know about his church. He wants to know how they're doing. He said, I, the reason I want to send Timothy is because I know Timothy will come back and share your heart. Because Timothy's a man, he'll get your heart. When, when I'm a, anytime I'm away from church, of course now you can see us online. And I'm going to do that. I don't think I've ever been away now and not checked in on my own church online. But I, I want to know, how are you doing? I, it'd be better, you know, I, I, if I don't, I see something I'm not real sure, I call up one of the other pastors or something. Hey, do you see this? I saw this online. What's going on? I want to know. I'm concerned. But I would much rather be here. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you know, I don't mind the online service. I don't mind the Zoom call, but I'd much rather be there. I'd much rather send a representative. I'd rather send somebody that really knows the heart. Concerned when he's maybe about to die. Think about the words of Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing Christ. And he's concerned for them. You see that kind of concern in Pastor Paul. You see that kind of concern in Timothy. Concern for the interest of others, even when it's killing him or he's in a tough place. Well, it's one of the central elements of godly vessels that have a genuine interest in Christ's church, in his people, how they are doing, what's going on. And we see that's what Timothy has, that's what Paul has, and he knows Timothy can give him that. Um, how does that apply to our lives? Well, obviously, we, we need to grow in our interest in the church, our interest in the people that God has saved and is saving. I remembered a story that my father-in-law uh, told before he passed at a he, he told us about a friend of his it's just interesting uh, that had passed on to glory but here they are they're two big men now but he told a story when they were in the second grade so imagine two second graders and Ira comes into school doesn't know anybody and the teacher's introducing him to the second grade class. And in that class was a big boy named Bob Kearns. And she sits him down beside Bob, second grader. Bob could have beat him up or he chose to do something else. Bob looked over at Ira and said, Ira, I'm going to be your best friend for the rest of your life. And he was. And Ira told that story. As Bob was being funeralized, this is a man who told me in the second grade he would be my best friend for the rest of my life. He would take an interest in me and care for me. And he did. Unbelievable. So the application for us, it can be in second grade. It could be at any age. Do we take a genuine interest 
in our brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in Christ, that we really care about what's going on with them and what their spiritual needs are. We can do that. We need that kind of genuine concern for Christ and His church. That's the kind of vessel God wants to use. Someone who's genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see that in verse 20. I have nobody like him. He's one who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy's fitness begins there. It's a spiritual concern. No one I want to use more than someone who genuinely concerned. A chosen vessel. Um, I was at a teacher's seminar um, uh, back in my day going to school, one of the, the most famous teachers around, teachers of teachers doing conferences and seminars, was Howard Hendricks. Howard was a seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary down in Texas, and he t told the story, this was during the Sunday school movement, when you invited people to Sunday school hoping that they would come to church, and Howard was recruited to be a Sunday school teacher. In his Sunday school class was a boy named Dave, a middle schooler that was just off the walls. And he started class, Dave's acting up. Dave, be quiet. Dave, be quiet. Dave, Dave be quiet. Dave, sit over here. You know, it's constantly, this Sunday school. And Dave just was going off and on all the time. Finally, Howard goes back to the elder in charge of the Sunday school, says either Dave goes or I go. I'm done. I, I, me and Dave, we're, we're button heads all Sunday school long. I can't take it. And the elder said, uh, Howard, you can quit your class. I said, but before you do that, he said, he said, would you go visit Dave in his house and just uh, pray with him there? He said, okay, I'll do that. Interesting to wonder why. And he, he goes to Dave's house middle of the day after school, you know, and uh, knocks on the door. His dad comes just half-dressed and drunk as he could be, cursing at him. So I, sorry to wake you up, sir. I, I just came to see your son, Dave. Well, he's over there. You can, you can go visit him, whatever. And he went over there, and he saw that mom wasn't much better off than the dad. And then he realized Dave was really having to do life on his own. Dave had no training. Dave didn't have anybody caring for him. The fact that he was even in Sunday school was, was a miracle. And Howard made an appointment. He said, Dave, I, I just came to see how you were doing. He said, this is Tuesday. Could we maybe get together again on Thursday and, and go fishing at the pond down at the end of the road? And uh, Dave said, oh, I'd love that. So Howard took him fishing. And guess what? Dave was never a problem in Sunday school anymore. Why? Because somebody took a genuine interest. Somebody was genuinely concerned with what was happening to Dave and prayed with him and loved him and cared for him and began to nurture him. Instead of carrying just a good message, he was carrying a heart, a concern, an interest in others. And that's what God wants in us as vessels of honor. That's, a, that's somebody I want to use, God says. Someone who has that genuine concern for Christ's people. 
for Christ church. It's not only a genuine concern, it's a selfless. Look at verse 21. They all seek, and I thought, who are they all? He didn't introduce me to anybody else. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. There are people around Paul. In other words, he's got other options. He's got some means available to him. He could choose somebody else. I don't know who they are. But he says, when I survey my options, I have them. But I only have one that has this selfless, genuine concern. Everybody else seeks their own interest. Not the interest, really, of the church. Um, give you some examples. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. Beginning at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Obviously talking to Jesus. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are some pretty strong illustrations, aren't they? Those are radical Jesus, I'll follow you, but, uh, you know, I got, I got some things I need to do. Jesus, then you're not the one I want. Follow me. And the other man said, oh, sure, I'll follow you, but my, uh, my friend just died. You know, I I'm, I'm, was the best man in his wedding and all that. I got to go bury him. No, no, you don't. Come follow me. What? Jesus, we don't have to do funerals? Mm -mm. Come follow me. I want you to have my interests, my concerns right now. Well, then another one says, I'll follow you, but at least let me go tell mom and daddy bye. Right? I got family. Jesus said, no. Follow. Those are radical examples of self-interest. You're, you're thinking, I'm thinking, that's not bad interest. They're, they're just being nice to do something else first, and yet Christ says, no, I want you to have me and my church first. Seek first the kingdom, the kingship, the lordship of Christ. That's got to be first. And you don't get it yet. That's why I'm giving you such radical examples. To shake you up. To get you to start thinking, Christ is really that serious? Absolutely, He is. 
He wants us to really think through, are we being genuinely concerned, selflessly concerned for him and his church? Look at chapter 14 of Luke. Verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything's ready. Now they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Again, radical examples, aren't they? Where Jesus is the master of the house and he invites you to come and he's set a huge banquet, a feast before you. He's had servants preparing for hours, days perhaps. The feast is ready and you've got a personal invitation from Christ. And you said, but I just got married. I got to go get my wife or spend some time with her first. So I know it's an awkward time, but just excuse me this once. Or I just bought some new ox. I happen to be a farmer. I need these animals, and I need to go check on them. It's a deal of a lifetime. It's going to make me profitable this year. I just Please excuse me. I got things to do here. Or the first one where he said, I bought a field. Closing is... Tomorrow, i got to at least see what I'm purchasing. Excuse me. What are our excuses? These are so radical. Seems like our excuses. Well, I'm not feeling good today. Could you just excuse me, Jesus? Or, you know, I haven't seen my kids in a while. Could you just excuse me? I mean, whatever we come up with, they sound like perfect excuses for us, don't they? And yet, would we really use them with Christ like those examples he gives? They're probably not fictitious examples. Maybe Jesus told people just like that, follow me. And those are the excuses he got. And he's what is it? He became angry. Became angry because he wasn't getting vessels that were fit for use. They, had, they were concerned for themselves. Selfish interest, not selfless interest. Um, if you were invited to pray, would you make an excuse? If you were invited to work in the nursery, 
<laughs> yeah. Would you have an excuse? If you were invited to minister to some hurting, lonely widows, would you have an excuse? If you were invited to just sit beside somebody so they didn't have to come in and sit alone, would you have an excuse? Or would you say, no, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm a vessel for use in the Lord's house with the Lord's people, a chosen vessel. Um, many will have excuses because of commitments we've already made. So, well, you know, I, I can't. I, I've got excuses. Look at Timothy. Timothy didn't seem to be a man with excuses. Back over in Philippians 2, thought I forgot about it, right? Let's get back there. Verse 22, but, but you know Timothy's, listen to this description. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. What a vessel. You already know. I'm choosing Timothy because he's proved himself. To me, to you, to everyone. He's genuinely concerned. He's selflessly concerned for Christ, for his people, for the church. He's proven his worth over and over. And then I thought about excuses again. Look at uh, how did he avoid the excuses? Look at 1 Timothy. Chapter 4. This, by the way, is uh, Timothy's ordination service. We'll have one of those this afternoon at 4, uh, at four o'clock. First uh, Timothy 4, verse 12, says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So he's being exhorted. He's being charged as an ordinan to, to live a certain life. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders, that's where we'll gather around Jonathan today, a council of elders laid their hands on you. And then it said, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Timothy must have done this, so that all may see your progress. See, he has proven worth. People have seen his progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Timothy had proven character. Keeping an eye on himself and an eye on Christ's church. Look over at chapter 5, same book, 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. Paul continues in exhortation. Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach. And here's what I want you to see. And your frequent ailments. Timothy was always sick. He was frequently ill. But that's not an excuse. Paul says, you, you just keep showing up to minister, and you're sick, and you're ill. At least take a little wine, do something about the sickness, if you can. 
drink a little more, maybe you won't hurt as much. But Timothy, what I want you to see is that Timothy was working through the pain and the sickness the best he could, paying attention to the needs of the church, Christ, and paying attention to his selflessness, less concern about himself. Not a man of excuses. Many people claimed they're committed to Christ. He says, but Timothy, going back to Philippians 2, he is like a son. He's like a son. I, I hope, I, I just, I, I want to serve. He, he's like a son with a father. And I, I want to I send him because I can count on him. He's like a son with a father. You've, uh, you've probably seen the, the uh, advertisement. It was a while back. I don't even remember what they were advertising. I just thought it was hilarious. Where a dad opens the door to the nursery and the baby's in the crib and the baby's crying and screaming and the diaper's about off, you know, it just basically had a big blowout, you know? And needs a diaper change. But dad's at the door sniffling and I'm sorry, son. I'm sick. I can't come in today. Just closes the door and walks off. And we're all thinking, no, that don't happen. Right? No. Parents work through whatever they got going on to, to love their son or their daughter. We, we, we still make it happen. We will deny ourselves all day long to love our father. I mean, our son or our daughter. Flip it, go the other way when they get older. I mean, I'm going to change the diaper if I'm the only one, <laughs> only one there. I'm going to change the diaper of the son. And now I've been able to go the other way. Would you also change the diaper of a dad who's cared for you all his life? And now he's old and can't care at times for himself. Sure you will. You do it all day long. Doesn't matter what happens. Paul says, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the people we are to be in vesseling the message of Christ's church to their pastor and pastor to their church. He says, that's who Timothy is. He's somebody that just gives up for others, sacrifices himself to get the message to others. What's, what's holding you and me up for ministry? The excuses. We've all got an excuse. What's keeping you from writing an email to encourage somebody today? Well, football game's on, preacher, don't you know? It's a big one. What's, what's keeping us from a text of encouragement? It's so easy for us now. What's keeping us from a visit? What's keeping us from giving the meal? What's keeping us from giving away some of our clothes that we, we're not even wearing? What's keeping us from ministry to others? Well, we're busy, right? We've, we've got excuses. Um, God says, I want vessels. I want somebody with proven worth, somebody that I can count on that's going to not fail me. They're going to show up 
and do what I've called them to do. It's going to take a lot of concern for being a vessel of honor. Psalm 101. Let me read you portion, beginning at verse 2. I will ponder the way that is blameless. You ever done that? Struggle for a while to wonder who's speaking here. Is that God saying that or is that the psalmist saying that? But it doesn't really matter. Do you ever just sit back and say, what's, what's honorable? What's blameless for me today? Oh, when will you come to me? Is that God saying, will you ponder the blameless way and then come to Christ for his work? Come to him to be put in to service. Verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that's worthless. Wow, what a goal. I'm not going to focus my eyes and thought on anything that's not honorable. Good verse for, for us to memorize. I will not set before my eyes anything that's worthless. Has it, does it have proven worth? I hate the work, keeps going, of those who fall away. It'll not cling to me. Verse 4, perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. That'll make me angry. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor upon the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. You got two vessels. You got a bowl here and a bowl here. This bowl has leftover cereal from this morning. This bowl is clean. Which one are you going to use? It's a no-brainer, right? I'm going to pick the clean one every time. Which vessel is God going to choose and use? The one who's pondering how to be blameless and honorable, pure, and clean. That's the vessel God says. He's talking about church folks. That's the vessel. Clean up our lives so that we are vessels for use in God's house. Obviously, if you say, well, I've never been clean. How, how? That's through Christ. Then you need Christ. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You have to come to Christ first. You have to receive Christ. Confess your sins to him. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But as unrighteous chosen saints, we have a responsibility to be of proven worth. Like Timothy. Another psalm, Psalm 139, the last few verses. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, 
See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way that's eternal, that's everlasting. Search me, Lord, my heart, my mind, my thoughts. Because I want you, what I really want God to do is cleanse out of my life anything that causes him to go, oh, I don't like that. He's grieved. He says, see if there's any grievous way in me. I don't want Jesus looking at me and going, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't think that. I wouldn't go that way. There's a better way. It's everlasting. It's true. It's proven. It's sure every time. And I'd much rather you find that one. Is the Spirit convicting you this morning of stuff that needs to be cleansed? Stuff that needs to be dealt with, right? We need to be God's chosen vessels. We were challenged earlier in the service that the loving kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Yes, God so loves us that he's chosen us. And then he comes to cleanse us. And he gives us an example of a man who's been cleansed and thrown off the excuses and serves selflessly his master. Let us be vessels like that. I want to pray for us. Let's all pray together. I'm going to kneel. Lord Jesus, I kneel before you and I ask of you, search me. Let me not play church. Let me not play with sin. Let me not just think of me. Forgive me. I turn, O Lord, from selfishness, selfish interest. I turn from only wanting what I want. Lord, let me more and more want what you want. Let me be a vessel of use that's cleansed for use. Use me until I'm used up. Let us spend and be spent for you. Father, there are people that I love in front of me now that have a sense that I've never really been used for God. And they've not been pondering the blameless way and the blameless thoughts. They've not been pondering usefulness and being a vessel in the house of the Lord for honorable use. Father, let us get back there. Forgive us for such thoughtless lives, for such thoughtless ways. Forgive us for not serving Christ as our master, for not seeking your kingdom first. We ask for your grace and mercy. Cleanse us from every wicked thing within us that we might have the purity of Christ the power of your spirit, the love for your church, the glory of seeing you as one who's been washed. Thank you, O Father, for your great care and love for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.